Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, welcome to My First Time, a mostly sexy sex podcast from Broadly. My name is Zing Sing. I mean, I did have sex, but it was there was so much that I did around it to manage the having sex, to making sure that it was safe. Today on My First Time... HIV, or human immunodeficiency virus, attacks your immune system and weakens your ability to fight everyday infections and disease. There are people all over the world living with HIV, in relationships or single, studying and working, just getting on with it. I am a writer, and people have often called me an activist. I don't really see myself as an activist. I do probably see that I've, I've kind of initiated some campaigns via my writing and via talking. Our guest today, Juno Roche, was diagnosed in her 20s a few decades ago. She thought she wouldn't have many more first times. This is her story. I found out in a really weird way. My partner at the time became very ill. We were going to split up and I thought in a kind of really awful way. I thought, well, they're they're pretending to be ill because they don't want us to split up. So there were all these kind of weird, kind of mixed-up feelings around it. An ambulance was called out and they had to be rushed into hospital and they had a very serious AIDS-defining illness. So I kind of knew by default that I was because there was nowhere that I couldn't have been. We'd been together for 10 years. We'd been intravenous drug users. Uh, we'd, We'd had lots of unsafe sex. So I knew that I had to be positive. But it was kind of weird because at that point what I had to start doing was caring for them because they were really ill. This was a time before HIV medication. So I did have a test. It took a couple of weeks to come back. I knew that it was going to be positive. And then what they used to do then, they would say, do you want to talk to anybody religious? So do you want to talk to a priest? And I'd never talked to a priest, so I just, well, I'm not going to start talking to a priest now. And then they would offer you that you could then have a document that was called a DS-1500 that entitled you to death benefits. And the document said that you weren't expected to live for longer than six months. So it was a kind of tough thing. I was the first person in my whole extended family to go to university. So 
it kind of felt very punishing. But at the time, it was devastating because I don't think we can fully appreciate what kind of time it was pre-HIV medication. And back then, when it was seen as being a plague that you had caused yourself and you deserved to die, that was a general feeling and that you were going to die. So you weren't going to be anybody's problem for too long. You know, you were just going to be around for a short amount of time and then disappear, and so you should. That was really difficult to live through that period of time. One of the things that's difficult to understand now is what it actually meant to have HIV back then. For Gino, HIV could have meant the worst. You know, it was a time at which you expected to die and die visibly Mm. because most of the, back then, the AIDS-defining illnesses were kind of KS, which is a skin cancer, or people would get very bad pneumonia or you'd get, you know, any number of things that would mean you'd effectively lose weight and you'd start to look a certain way. Not everybody, obviously, but there was a kind of sense that this is going to start happening to me. I'm on a three-year degree. I must tell them. And in a sense, I did need to then because, you know, during that time, new drugs started to come out. Not often, but bit by bit, there was a trickle of new drugs. So I tried, you know, we would try every new drug that came out. In a sense, there would be lots of side effects. So you would, I needed to tell them, I, they needed to be engaged with it. And also I made work about it. I mean, you can't, if you, if you are doing a kind of fine art and philosophy degree, you'd have to be a kind of very odd kind of person to, to be able to carry on doing the work you were doing before. So my work became about being HIV in quite a a kind of oblique way. They needed to understand my process. In 2018, HIV doesn't mean resigning yourself to the illness. Juno is part of the estimated 36.9 million people around the world living with the diagnosis. To be able to have conversations with people to be able to be open and honest with people and to feel as well, like, to feel empowered. So if I try and date and somebody rejects me for being HIV because they read something I've written, then, I, you know, I'm I'm kind of like at a loss with them rather than me. I just think, God, the world's a really crappy place because of people like you. When are people like you going to disappear and stop being, when your ignorance kind of ruining this planet of ours? I feel like we're important. I feel like long-term survivors of HIV have got real lessons that we can share with people. Before she found out that she had HIV, Juno was in a long-term relationship. But things quickly changed once they got ill. After she and her partner broke up, Juno was ready to move on. But dating with HIV can present its own set of difficulties. I really wanted to meet people. But you felt that you had to tell them I mean, you always had to tell them. You couldn't not tell them, even if it was to find out that they were positive as well and therefore you could make this connection. So I felt like it took me a really long time to start to date again after because I really struggled with that. I think I still do struggle with that. I think that there is still a struggle around that. I don't think it's just me. I think there is a struggle around especially if you're a, a, a woman or a trans woman. I think there's a, a notion of kind of danger around it. You know, it's like I, I've had men re- respond incredibly badly and incredibly aggressively around me being a woman, a trans woman with HIV and not telling them. There's a kind of a notion of safety and, and intimacy. But also sometimes what would happen is, is that you would or I would tell someone 
and they would say, oh, it's okay, it's fine. And then instantly I'd feel like I had to fall in love with them because they accepted me. I'd have to be with them because this person saw beyond it. So that was kind of tough because, you you know, it's this kind of thing where you become quite compliant to, to, to life in general and it's very difficult to become empowered in some way. I do remember the first time that I met somebody who I liked and wanted to have something with. I don't think I really wanted to have a relationship with them, but I wanted something with them. And it was just utterly... I think I got other people involved to try and find out how they might react. So by the time you've done that level of work to find out, there is this kind of notion of, okay, so my friends have told me that they're going to react okay, so when do I turn... You know, by the time you've done that, nothing feels very sexy anymore. I mean, it really doesn't. You feel like you've gone through this kind of almost biomedical process. So it's tough. I think it's still tough. Because now I, you know, I have to, I don't have to tell people that I'm HIV, but, you know, it's quite a, uh, it's quite a risky thing to end up in an intimate situation in, in, in a space with somebody and for them to somehow find out. I mean, people find out. I, I'm kind of all over the internet now, so that I can't, there's no hiding any of it anymore, even on a kind of crappy dating app like Tinder. People just would see my name and I might say to them, I'm a writer, and they go off and come back and go, oh, you're the, you write about this. And... So yeah, I think it, I think it was I think I found it very tough. I think an awful lot of people stayed in their relationships they were in because it was much easier because they knew and because then you were you you know there was no risk. You know, back then people were being criminalized. It's like I don't want to overplay it, but it really was. People were being, you know, they were considering there'd be front pages of newspapers that would say ship them all off to an island and let them die. You know, it was like <clears throat> trying to date in that and that's your label. Mm. That's your label. Your label isn't reasonably attractive, quite intelligent, you know, quite funny, uh, quite bright or solvent, has own house or any of that. that those aren't your labels. Your labels are should be shipped off, deserves to die. That's kind of tough because you do feel like, oh, should I tell somebody that that's my label? When you meet someone new, there's always that getting to know you period. Where are you from? Where did you go to school? Oh, and do you have any immunodeficiencies that I should know about? In the UK, there's no law forcing people to tell their partner their HIV status if you're having safe sex, though this varies around the US. You can, however, be prosecuted for reckless transmission in England and Wales. But if you're on effective treatment and have an undetectable viral load like Juno, you can't pass on the virus, full stop. So I remember the first person that I liked... And that was the person that I got my friends to tell about. And I remember having, and then we tried to have sex and sex was always really difficult because I was so worried. Even though I found them incredibly attractive and I can picture them, I mean, I can see them in my mind now, but I was so physically not there because I was one step ahead trying to make sure that everything would be fine. And if there were a condom used, you know, that everything would be fine and I'd take care of it and, and weirdly, we were, t- we were told that we had got this because we were having so much sex, you know, and most people I know that became, the, the kind of irony of it is, is that I'd been in one long-term relationship. I became HIV positive because I loved somebody and I trusted them. They had HIV because they simply made a connection, mm. be that love or intimacy or, sex- or a sexual connection. So, you know, I, it was really problematic, really difficult. But one of the brilliant 
freeing things for younger people or for people that are diagnosed now is that they know that they can become undetectable very quickly. And therefore, if you're undetectable, you can't pass it on. So from my perspective, I would say that they don't have any responsibility to tell people that they have, you know, a virus that they can't pass on because we wouldn't do that in... You know, if I had a cold and then the cold one went, I wouldn't think that I had to say to every person that I met on the bus, listen, I had a cold last week. I can't pass it on anymore, but I just thought you should know my history. I mean, I, you know, okay, that sounds a bit glib, but in the same sense, if somebody can't pass it on at all, if you were diagnosed 20, over 25 years ago, it was an entirely different scenario. But now, no, not at all. Why should people... I mean, it's it's completely and utterly safe for somebody who is on good medication, who is uh, robustly taking their medication. You know, we have... Our life expectancy is the same for somebody diagnosed now. I suspect for somebody diagnosed like myself 25 years ago that there might be some kind of differences, but still, I i mean, I don't drink, I don't smoke. You know, it's like, I, you know, I've done enough stuff to make sure that, that I have a, a, a good innings. That's the point of good medication in terms of everything, really. You know, a, HIV is no different or should not be seen as being any different at all. It's just the way it's it's passed on, happened to involved but you know people did deal with it differently because if you think about how people dealt with it in terms of haemophiliacs they were seen as kind of being innocently HIV positive and therefore no one questioned their having relationships or their kind of integrating with the world I mean to a large extent it was if you if you fell into a different group then you were seen as being that you did have a kind of different relationship with the world but no I think that people should just feel they don't have any responsibility. That's People shouldn't have to live with the stigma that I've lived with. I mean, it's been a really tiring 25 years because I can't escape that, especially those first 10 years, mm-hmm. I can't escape the kind of the, the, how difficult that was. You know, that's something that I have to carry around. That's like, you know, like a big bruise that you kind of carry around. I mean, and I did have sex, but it was, it, you know, there, were, there was so much that I did around it to manage the having sex, to making sure that it was safe, to assuring that the person that I would be having sex with would be, you know, okay if they found out a month later that I was positive or if I had told them before that they would be, you know. So in that kind of sense, I think it was it was hugely complex. You know, like intimacy is complex. And when we take, we kind of, people, you know, talk about falling in love, etc. But, you know, HIV kind of let us understand that none of that stuff we could take for granted. It was stuff that you had to work at. And in some kind of sense, I mean, I'm very grateful for it in a sense because I feel like it's it's enabled me to understand how to develop deep and kind of meaningful stuff. But I don't want anybody else to have to go through that. I want them now just to be become undetectable and go and have fun and have sex. The one thing that living my life has taught me is that is it's a really short life and it goes really quickly. You have no concept of how quickly this life goes. So we shouldn't be wasting time dealing with stigmas and stuff that we, we can put to bed. Juno is a trans woman living with HIV and for her, dating and having sex has thrown up a unique set of challenges. But our guest today is all the stronger for it. Ultimately, it kind of empowered and 
my sense of kind of autonomy of of kind of knowing my body and owning my body especially as you know being a trans woman living with hiv you know if i put that as my strap line i mean it's kind of true is if i wrote it onto you know i would never get i'd never get any hits at all so it's but i understand my body and i understand how kind of valuable i am i think in the world so in that kind of sense i feel much more able to tell and to not tell and to withhold and to understand that i'm undetectable and have been for years so dating's become much easier <clears throat> and also because i you know i kind of tend to find trans people attractive you know trans masculine people attractive you know there's a kind of comfort i you know i feel like i've got my people in a sense in that kind of regard dating for me has become in my kind of 50s in my early 50s has become wonderfully exciting again so you know i've got enough years of hiv to understand exactly how this thing passes on and doesn't pass on and i'm no risk to the world in fact you know sometimes when you know if i've gone to hospitals and they they've found out they said oh no we need to know that about you because you're a risk and i've said to me you know actually i'm not a risk i'm the one that isn't the risk Actually, there are people that will come through here every day that don't know their HIV or don't know they've got hepatitis, etc. And they're the kind of, they're a risk. I'm not a risk. I'm actually the person that's not a risk at all because you know everything about me. I can tell you my complete blood work. So because of knowing that and because of knowing it for kind of 25 odd years, that gives me a great sense of being in this body and of liking this body and of kind of valuing this body and of finding myself sexy and attractive, finding myself you know, feeling okay about that stuff. Whereas for years and years, I didn't. I just, you know, you were told that you, that all this other stuff. Juno Roche wore her HIV diagnosis like a shackle at first, but now it's more like a badge of honour. It's helped make her who she is today. But if you're listening to this and worrying about yourself or someone you may know, speak to a doctor. Or if you've just been diagnosed, this is what Juno has to say. Just breathe and give yourself time to let it sink in, but then try and build a set of people around you that you really trust with that information and try and share it with them as kind of soon as possible and try and share some of the kind of, because it will feel like a burden and it will feel like the end of everything, but it's not. Unfortunately, for far too long, it was a kind of disease whose name you dare not speak. I mean, still in many workplaces you would go into and not, but I would say it's it's... You know, take it in your stride. It's just another thing. The medication is brilliant. I've been on the same drug now for 17 years and it's kept the virus undetectable in my body and I have hardly any side effects, if any. You know, no more than anyone would have on any other. So I would say take some time out and breathe and, and, and really just allow it to kind of settle in and don't respond to it. Don't respond negatively. Don't want to try and punish yourself or take on any of that stuff you're exactly the same person today with HIV as you were yesterday when you may not have had HIV or when you didn't know you had HIV be kind to yourself because it's a really short life it's too short a life it really is to kind of take on board stuff that other people will want to put onto you Thanks for listening to My First Time, a mostly sexy sex podcast from Broadly. My name is Zing Sing, and I'm the UK editor at Broadly. 
This episode was produced by Sam Bonham. If you're into what we're doing, please rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to check out the article on Broadly featuring Juno. See you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.